Okay, welcome to another podcast. And today we are talking about um, self-perception and public perception. And I'm joined today by two students, Prachi and Ravine. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, Hi everyone. Okay, well, Prachi and Ravine, let's start off with some definitions in context of, I guess, the two takes we're studying. What is What do you think self-perception is and public perception is um, when we come to the Penelope ad and Photograph 51? Um, I think the two ideas, self-perception and public perception, are relatively universal, but of course um, the characters vary in their self and public perception in both the texts. I would say uh, public perception is really, well, how people perceive you, how people in your professional space, um, in your social life would perceive you and how they would characterise you and maybe even overlaps into how they would treat you based on that characterisation. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And Ravine, what about you? What do you think? Uh, pretty much like the same, but yeah, public image uh, perception, sorry, I think it kind of bleeds more into like the idea from the last podcast of expectations, how practice saying it can influence uh, how you're treated or what you're expected to do in a space or in a society even. Mm-hmm. So where do you think in the text that is the most pronounced where public perception um, sort of puts that pressure on expectation? And I think I really like that link you've made there with the last podcast. I think it's most clear with uh, clearly the female characters who are kind of forced into these spaces and have these uh, ideals kind of enforced upon them really heavily throughout both texts. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And what about, yeah, Prachi, what do you think? Uh, I was going to say, I think it's most clear with Franklin how she has this uh, image of the ideal scientist, the ideal female scientist imposed on her, but the ideal female scientist is a space that's never really been explored. So she's simultaneously having to grapple with these expectations and define the space really for herself. You have um, Wilkins and Watson and Gosling and Casper all offering her their, you know, quote, kindness. But it's not really something that she wants because what she wants is to be treated as an equal and it takes her a really, really long time to get there. In mm. fact, it's pretty much only when she's dying do they realise her value as an individual went beyond the fact that she was a female scientist. She was just a scientist. Mm. And I think, I think you've put something in there about needing to carve her own space out. And I think that kind of really speaks to the idea of females who are in leadership or who are doing something that is seen as a traditional sort of male profession, um, that perception that they need to be perfect or they're going to be scrutinised, whereas I feel, um, I think like you highlighted there, their male, their male counterparts don't have that same pressure in terms of public perception. Um, how about in the Penelope ad, Ravine? What do you think, where do you think that's pronounced in the text in terms of those um, spaces the females are forced into? Uh, the way that women are recognised, it's only for being either very faithful in uh, Penelope's Penelope's case or for being beautiful like Helen and so uh, other like characteristics especially that Penelope had are kind of omitted from history just because they they aren't recognized or even acknowledged like for example uh, Penelope's kind of ability to single-handedly kind of govern a whole or all of Ithaca is kind of just disregarded because she's her whole identity is boiled down to her being Odysseus's wife like her sorry his faithful wife and mm-hmm. that's it. Mm-hmm. Um, I found it really interesting there that, you know, that dichotomy of being either faithful or um, beautiful um, to be acknowledged. And, you know, we do see that um, Penelope talks about the need to kind of weave her story 
um, there. And I think that public perception that even though you're right, Ravine, um, you've pointed out, and I've definitely talked about it with my class, that, that Penelope is actually the queen of Ithaca at this moment. And none of her accomplishments matter because what they see her as is being a, as a placeholder rather than someone in her own right, that public perception that she's a woman that can be won over with the um, suitors there. Um, and also someone that is to be used to make an heir and then killed, which is obviously awful. Um, and I think, I think that's a really good observation there. So how about what, what do we see when we read the text side by side um, in terms of, we're really talking about public perception at the moment. So what kind of, what, what, so what moments in either text sort of bring out something in the other one or sort of diminishes the power of something else? Do you have a, a comparative point there, do you think, for public perception? Um, I read into this a little bit and I noted um, in the Penelope ad when the suitors broke into Penelope's bedroom mm -hmm. um, and it brought to my mind the idea of private spaces as well as private like, self-perception because the bedroom at that stage, um, Odysseus wasn't there. It was Penelope's private space. It was where she really was herself. Mm -hmm. And um, in a way, I think the same space for Franklin would be her lab. And you see in both the texts that the men have the capacity to break into their self-perception, into their private space and influence it because that's where Wilkins, you know, um, offers Franklin the chocolate, where she is offered this um, buy-in to the ideal role that she would play. And it's where the suitors break into Penelope's bedroom. It's the space where she plays the role of the dutiful wife whose you know, job it is to present an heir. Mm, mm. And it's very interesting that the men have the capacity to break into that private space, into that self-perception and influence it so profoundly. Yeah, Prashia, I, I really like that insight there in terms of um, a private space and it's linked to sort of self-perception and, you know, the way Penelope sort of, that, that's where she cries and that's the most vulnerable place she is. Um, and I think that highlights then that equatable space, you know, um, it, it casts relief on into... Um, Photograph 51 of that bedroom equivalent being that lab and how invasive that lab is because she's expected to socialize and the men can sort of just force themselves upon Rosalind and interrupt her work just the way um, the men in the Penelope ad are forcing themselves onto Penelope for um, answers. And um, I think that's, that's a really good insight there. What about you, Ravine? Yeah, I find the idea of the private spaces and that invasion of self-image or self-perception really interesting. And I see that a lot with Penelope, especially, because mm. uh, especially, I don't know if I'd call it insecurity, but she shows a level of discomfort with, uh, discomfort with herself. But, and it's, it's because of, it's kind of a product of the way she's been treated by those around her, mm -hmm. like through her father, through Helen and all those. And the, there's that one quote from the suit, I forgot his name, actually. He's like, you were no Helen, like, uh, her whole existence is boiled down, like to an extent, is boiled down to her just being less noteworthy than Helen. And this leads to those comparisons first from other people, but then it kind of, she starts making them herself when she's saying how she hopes Odysseus will come back and say, oh, you're worth a thousand Helens, or like she tries to distance, but then she also, she's still aware that um, she's still submitted into this like society to a point where she has to distance herself from. Helen at the same time because uh, 
kind of lost myself there actually but but yeah i think we're saying that this is yourself because you know she doesn't want to be known as being beautiful she wants to be known as being intelligent as a differentiator is that what you're mm-hmm. trying to get at yeah yeah i think that's a really apt observation um in terms of that self-identity aspect and sort of relating being able to relate yourself to sort of the other vulnerabilities of the, your vulnerabilities being projected onto other characters and your relationships. What do you think Ravine is the, I guess, equivalent point um, for photograph 51? Uh, there's like those in that sequence where Rosalind and Casper having, having dinner and there's a, those kind of concerns that Rosalind has, like the things that she wishes to do with her life. Uh, although like they're not insecurities as, as such, but like, there's the same kind of unanswered questions that she'll never truly know. And but the thing is, we never, we don't actually know if they're her because we don't ever hear a genuine, non-fabricated voice of Rosalind's. So there's no way to know if that's her actual concerns or if it's the insecurities of the men, again, like in Penelope's case, being projected onto her. Mm. And, and yeah. I, I think, Ravine, there, you really pointed out some complex um, comparisons that, um, in fact, Penelope's the certainty in Penelope's insecurities, you know, that are quite evident, maybe bring to light um, the uncertainties within Rosalind, but we're not too sure how true they are. And maybe it actually highlights the men's insecurities being projected onto um, onto um, Rosalind in that way. And I find that really interesting, a kind of comparison. Now, what about the maids? How do the maids, you know, the maids are a really big feature of the Penelope ad. And I've noticed that, maybe over a few podcasts, you may not have gone delve into them. How do you think this concept or the ideas of self-perception and public perception um, sort of manifests itself um, within the made um, collective voice throughout the Penelope ad? Um, I think the maids, both self and public perception, is inextricably linked to their bodies mm-hmm. in that they're um, really, it's their physicality that they're only, that's the only thing they're remembered for. Uh, in the underworld, it's their twitching feet. In the overworld, the only maid that's named is Melantha because of her pretty cheeks. Um, and you have that uh, section, the kitty mourn, and the very vivid experience of them being exploited for their bodies, for their physicality from childhood. And I think it's very interesting that women are so closely linked to their bodies because you have the same presented in photograph 51, where um, it's Watson and Crick having a discussion and the discussion is controlled by Watson. He discusses Odile's tender thighs where they're really in a professional working environment. But once again, they've linked the worth of this woman to her physical self. Mm. The same happens to the maids and the same, I guess, by extension happens to Penelope because she was mentally incredibly capable. She ruled Ithaca, but she is a wife and the role of a wife is to produce an heir. And that was her greatest achievement that she will be remembered for. Mm. Ravine, do you have something to add to that? Oh yeah. Just with the maids, that idea that, that there is, they're kind of boiled down to just their physicality. They're, they don't even have a self-perception even because they're all remembered as just a collective. And that's why I'm not sure if this is uh, that cohesive, but I found it interesting that whenever they spoke, it's always in a kind of performative kind of matter. It's like very theatrical. And I, uh, I came to the conclusion that it might be because of the fact that they don't actually have a true identity, that they have to put on this kind of persona to make up for that lack of their own character. Kind of. 
Yeah, I, I find that interesting. There's almost a negative space within the maids about who they are as an individual and perhaps the theatrics and the performance is the only way they're going to get heard um, in terms of who they are as a collective. And what we see them as is, as we see the anthropological lecture, um, as symbols of um, atrocities um, committed to um, on winter women. Um, and I think that collective voice and that lack of lack of self-perception is really interesting because they really are they are victims of what supposedly happened from an outsider's point of view i think that's a really complex idea there ravine and i think um one of the things would be as to how would we equate that um equatable that that sense of lack of identity maybe kind of highlights Rosalind's sort of lack of identity because they, her personality is being described by people that um, are talking about her that may have a sort of hidden agenda, perhaps. Yeah, I agree. Like, and then there's that one uh, quote where I can't remember who says it, but like, she should have been more, and then all the men kind of lay out what they think about her. And I found that, that little section really interesting because it kind of just illustrated like their... Uh, how it kind of just showed how they're just kind of projecting what they wanted out of her and their perception of her, like very distinctly from each other. Like I think it was, uh, what's in a crick was like, she should have collaborated more on, on, or been more nice. It shows how they, like it, it shows to the extent that they don't treat her as an equal, but rather just a object of attraction rather than an actual colleague or a, yeah, like a colleague, sorry. Yeah, yeah, good. Um, okay, do you guys have, what else, do you guys have things? I know you, we are prepared, so we'll leave it, we'll have an open discussion now about other things you have noticed in the two texts. Um, I think we had a brief discussion about how class links to self-perception and public perception, mm -hmm. how the lower class really is denied both the public and the self to a degree. Um, you have Odile, who's a housewife who is probably the lowest class character you see in photograph 51 and she is in the kitchen and she is in the bedroom and the only real intelligence that she has is within the home even when we have to acknowledge that she is smart for being able to move out of the bedroom it is only that she moves to another bedroom so she's very connected to the male characters in the story and the same is you know with the maids as we've discussed they have a much lesser degree of public and self-perception we don't know anything of their self-perception and the public perception is only of them as a collective mm. and so when you when you rise up in class really you see Odysseus is probably the most powerful character and we are constantly reminded of the fact that this story as much as from it is from Penelope's perspective it the whole text is in the shadow of Odysseus' story, right down to the title being the Penelope ad, a reminder, a constant reminder of the fact that it's based on the Iliad. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That is something, I just want to note to the class there, to the cohort, that that is a very uh, good, if it's related to the question, a very good introductory sort of point to make in your introduction, a good contextual piece there. Um, how about you, Ravine? Do you have something to add to that as well? Oh yeah, I find it interesting that the like Raj is saying, like the upper class and while they have more privilege in that they are allowed a self-perception and the public perception, the lower class are in some ways they have less accountability for their actions because of they don't have that same level of status. And I saw that in uh, when Odysseus's uh, father he leaves as a quote, he's like he lost interest in the past, like I went to the country to rummage. 
it kind of shows how in the, the although that the lower class has less privileges, they have less responsibilities. And so from that, he gets a detachment from like that sense of wealth and grandeur and a sense of, of like fulfillment in having less, uh, mm, mm. yeah, kind of less responsibilities and things like that. Um, I think I'm just going to pivot a little bit in this, and I found this interesting, is that Prachi, the Odysseus line, um, do you think that to sort of succeed and be maybe, um, because, you know, some of the things we can talk about with these two texts is fame and glory and survival, that survival is really dependent on your maybe standing in terms of a public perception, do you think? Um, I think definitely. Because Penelope, um, not Penelope, uh, Franklin, right at the start, has established herself as a colder character, that public perception was carried, basically carried her through the text, really, until the end where we have Casper who challenges this perception of her. She's a very unlikable character, and that leads to things like readers even being able to justify how she's treated to a certain degree because we have this evidence in front of us that says she did not welcome this you know the quote kindness and it makes it very easy um for us to really disregard some of the horrific experiences that she had working as a female scientist and i think we must also acknowledge that it's said that had she worked with a partner, had she maybe not done all the work on her own, she would have been alive. She wouldn't have suffered, um, you know, the cancer to the degree that she did. I think it's her association and public perceptions that were really may have changed what survival looked like for her. But at the same time, then you have to question, would she have been as successful in her work? Had she given into what the public perception ideally would have been? Because mm, mm. I guess ideally she would just be the assistant and being in the background and then therefore we may be not even having the discussion about Photograph 51 and um, recognising her sort of contributions to science. Yeah. And um, there's that passage about where she discusses the salt spray and how they fix the camera. Um, Wilkins is consistently disagreeing, thinking that it won't work. It's Franklin that figures out that it's you know, using a salt spray makes the image clearer or something along those lines. Mm. Um, she really is quite intelligent, but you see in moments like that, that had she not worked on her own, had she not been that cold, she never would have been listened to. And maybe they never would have found photograph 51. Maybe the discovery would have come 50 years later. Yeah, that's very true. And I think, you know, one of the other things in photograph 51 is the lectures that we're willing to believe Wilkins's lecture, but then when, um, when you see the staging of um, Rosalind's lecture, we've got Wilkins and Watson and Crick talking over the lecture purposely as a stage direction. And I think that really speaks to the idea of that public perception and worth and, you know, how much could she actually survive if she, or thrive really, and be remembered if she didn't sort of stick to her guns. Um, how about you, Ravine? Do you have anything add, um, more to add to that conversation? Uh, yeah, just kind of bring it back to the Penelope. It's kind of interesting that they're both uh, they're both strong women, but they have very different public perceptions, and they're both not revered for their beauty as such, but end up getting targeted by men because of their status and their image. And mm. I kind of, I think that comes from Penelope and and Rosalind's respective kind of attitudes and uh, kind of approach to handling the the society in which they live. While Rosalind kind of just challenges social norms and sticks to like kind of just sticks to her guns, uh, Penelope kind of like water is like she's like fluid, like 
yeah she, yeah. she suppresses herself to fit the norms and and to like constitute her own kind of being by not being as kind of outright and direct as Rosalind is and this leads to like this might this like might be this might result in why I think Penelope has all those kind of inconsistencies within her self-image and those kind of insecurities. Mm, mm. Yeah, I think there's a um, really good points. And I think, you know, interesting, you know, that, that public perception again of the maids that they can just be used and abused and left behind. I think that's kind of a something interesting to talk about. And the same way that the expectation that a woman in a, in a lab um, is, should be just following the directives of um, the men in the, and how lucky she should be at King's College rather than how lucky they are to have her in their lab. And mm-hmm. uh, I think that's kind of an interesting sort of dynamic there we played. And, you know, I'm, I'm hoping that the students out there listening to sort of um, notice the sort of complications we are making with self-perception and um, public perception and linking to other ideas. Because I think this is something that when you get a question like this, I know the diagnostic task has a double barrel question in it like this, that these are sort of the things that, that you need to think about in terms of navigating your essay and putting those complications and additions into um, that this central theme here of perception of self and public perception. Um, is there anything else that you're dying to get off your chest about this before we wrap up the podcast for um, today? Um, I don't think I have anything. How about you, Brachi? Um, I don't really think so. I think maybe it's just worth noting that um, particularly driven characters in both of the texts, especially when they're female, aren't remembered for anything particularly. Penelope's remembered as a wife. Franklin, um, I believe in the actual double helix text, is remembered as a lab assistant. So it's worth noting that regardless of what your self-perception, public perception in both the texts was, if you're a female character, chances are that it doesn't really go down in history, which is maybe a bit of a sad note, but I think it's a very interesting summary. Well, I think Project has a really ob- interesting observation there. Um, Ravine, sorry, I cut you off. Did you want to say something? No, sorry, I can go after you. Okay, and I think um, I lost my train of thought, so you go, you go, and I'll get myself <laughs> together. It's like, it's like, a, it's like a, not kind of in the same direction, but uh, just like thinking about it now, I think it's pretty clear that Rosalind is from the two is more concerned with herself and personal image because their aspirations are a uh, priority. And you see that when she says uh, the world won when, when what uh, Wilkins is asking, if she's disappointed about not being honored. And it shows mm. that she's content with like the realization of her visions. If, even if she's not honored, mm-hmm. but you compare it to Penelope, he's, Penelope, sorry, he's more comfortable content, like contouring the truth and fabricating her way through situation but it's kind of because her, her circumstances are more kind of extreme they kind of call for it yeah it's her, it's her kind of her life at stake rather than her aspirations that is a very good comparative point there you've made and you've and both of you have made some very um interesting and complex ideas and i would encourage all the students to listen back and write down some of the comparison points because they're actually some com- complicated paragraphs if not essays coming from this and I think just building on the project's point of view about the way they are remembered um, I think that tends to do with fame and glory that it doesn't really matter at the end of the day um, about their self-perception and the de- their determination um, ultimately at the end of the day it's public perception and the way that they choose to want to remember them is what I think ultimately wins um, and I think that is some, a really, and, in, and we can see that in history, that they're reduced to a wife and an assistant rather than a researcher um, and a queen of Ithaca 
um, the public perception or what societal norms have dictated to be the public perception of these women to be in mythology and history um, is what has won out ultimately in the end. And I think that that is the reason Atwood and Ziegler have sort of written these texts is to kind of highlight, I think for me, one of the highlights is, is the futility in retelling and trying to rebranding when really we sort of have to acknowledge some of the um, our past of not being able to fully acknowledge really successful women in both texts. Um, well, on that note, Prachi and Ravine, thank you so much today for your insights. It's given me definitely um, some food for thought for my own English class, and I'm definitely for the, your peers and um, future cohorts. Um, actually, I think next year's the last year that do this um, text pairing. Um, so thank you so much for your insight um, and um, joining me today on the podcast. Thank you. Thank you, sir.